0: Cab. Yes, sir. We're here. We're doing Ready it. when you are. I'm ready. Let's do it.
1: Kick it off, brother.
0: All right. Season two, episode one, MMA words. With Lou
1: and, cab. and the infamous cab.
0: The infamous... There are words
1: that you say when you have a problem with somebody, but when you want to settle that fight, there are MMA words. Hey. We are dropping in here hot for everybody to bring you season two with a beautiful start, which is in the form of UFC 264. Lou, how are you feeling, brother?
0: I'm happy, bro. I'm happy that we get Mystic Mac back in the shack. He's he's back on stage, and it, it's been a dark time. You know, uh, Conor McGregor's been out for a long time. I think he's had only two fights, the Dustin Poirier fight and the Cowboy Cerrone fight. And I've I've been sad ever since uh, he he's been out doing you know his uh, millionaire thing, but it's it's a joyous occasion. We're we're gonna rejoice that Mystic Mac is back, and yeah, praise be, praise be, praise be.
1: You know, Our Lord whatever. and Savior has come down <laughs> from the heavens, which is also called Ireland, and his name is Conor McGregor. Let's go, baby. Let's
0: go, man. So, Hello. Lou,
1: let's talk about this. Uh, uh, let's talk about how you're doing, Lou. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I have the the pleasure of watching all your training videos online. I want to give a massive shout out to Pro Edge Boxing, which is where I believe you are training currently. Um, tell me about your life. Tell me what's been going on with you. I know a lot of our listeners are probably wondering what you've been doing since season one.
0: I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. Uh, I've just been training, man. Uh, just, you know, keeping my, my back to the mat, keeping my, and my nose to the grinder. Just working, man. I've been doing jiu-jitsu uh, again for the last two and a half years now. Uh, grappled. I, I wasn't. I wasn't a completely newcomer to it. Uh, recently, been working a lot of striking with a lot of the guys down there. I've Alex noticed. Um, a lot of the other guys there just keep me crispy. be Tremblay, just working on my hands, and it's it's been it's been looking well, man. The debut might be coming sooner than later. So I excited, can't man. wait. I'm excited, but I appreciate you noticing, man. I, it's, it's not like I i don't make it pretty hard to notice. I'm posting like seven posts a day, so I'm kind of shoving it down people's throats at this point. But that's hey, okay.
1: It's, it's not shoving it down anybody's throat. You're <laughs> showing everybody what you got, and you're doing a lot more than the rest of us. And for our listeners, if you want to take a look at some of the beautiful work that I'm seeing on his story, you can follow him at at L O U. J-I-T-S-U. My man has always been a dynamo with strangling people, but now I'm seeing you mixing it up. You're dropping kicks to the gut. You're punching dudes. I'm seeing fighters that are recognized individuals in the industry who are saying, hey, this guy's giving me the work. So just a little shout-out to anybody who wants to get ahead of the game. should probably yeah. follow my boy.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Follow it up. Get at me. Um, big thing's coming. But it's Lujitsu2010. So funny story is actually another Lujitsu here in Phoenix. And uh, I actually get tagged in his stuff all the time on accident. So, And he's actually pretty solid. He's a black belt, I think, out in the MMA lab. So uh, shout out to him, too. He's doing big stuff over there. But mine is Lujitsu2010.
1: Oh, thank you for correcting me. Yes. And I, I hope all of our followers are listening to the point where they have gotten the correct ad because – I'm sure the other guy is just an absolute gem, but you know what? I would almost guarantee you that my lose a little bit better. But yeah. that's just coming from me. I'm a fanboy. I can talk all I want.
0: Cab, what's new with you, man? Where are you at? What are you doing since the last time we talked? I think the last time we talked was the uh, BMF belt with Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz. And we all know how that ended. That was episode six on season one. What's new, man? <laughs>
1: Not a whole lot. You know, I'm living on Wrightsville Beach. I got my butt in the sand. I'm enjoying the tan. You know, uh, a lot of people who are my followers might notice that I'm a little bit darker than usual. But you know what, Lou? The sun is out. COVID is gone. I'm enjoying myself. And you know what? It's the same day, but, you know, just a little bit of a different version of myself. I'm just happy that I'm here with my dear friend, Lou, and we are talking about the thing that I love the most, which is UFC and MMA fighting. I, I, am so excited just to be here and be having an opportunity to talk with you, my friend. So everything is good in my world. I've been doing the same thing, being the same person. Not a whole lot changes with me, my brother.
0: I appreciate you, man. And just for, for those of you that don't know me and Cab, we started chit chat and we met through mutual friend, Stephanie, who was actually on the podcast originally.
1: Shout Uh, out Steph.
0: Shout out Steph, you know, big respect to her. She's taking a step back. She's doing her own things, doing big things, bigger, better, hopefully. Um, but uh, yeah, we met through there, and we, we've been keeping this dialogue open in, in hopes of getting some good material to jump back on the podcast. And I believe UFC 264 is that good material that we have. To oh, it with.
1: certainly is, my friend. Whoa. It certainly <laughs> is.
0: I'm getting chills. All right, let's get into it, man. So we're going to jump into the main card with our hometown boy, Sean O'Malley versus Chris Mutino. I don't know if I said that right. But
1: Mut- uh, Mutino, Mutino, and, and I'm sorry, hometown boy. Is an Arizona guy. Yeah, Sean O'Malley's over here, man. I've seen him oh, at, a, at a. couple excuse of Excuse me, mats. I had no idea.
0: That guy's a strangler. He's he's nasty on the mat, um, and we have all seen what he does with his hands on on the uh, inside the octagon. But uh, yeah, he's out here doing big stuff too.
1: Well, no wonder he's such a wild man, you know. I would imagine anybody who's living within distance of you has probably got a little bit of a, uh, you know, maybe a, a chip on his shoulder or something that he wants to prove or just being that bad man in the octagon on the night, which is what every fighter wants to do. So, Lou, my question to you is this. Sean O'Malley had Chris Matinho fill in for um, an opponent who dropped out of the fight. I believe it was Louis Smolka, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so we've got a guy who's coming in here who has come from a lesser promotion, stepping up into a fight. He, this is his first time being in the UFC. He's a plus 600 underdog, where on the opposite side, Sean O'Malley is going to be at minus 900. I want you to tell me, Lou, in your professional opinion, is there any reason why I, should continue, or why I should consider taking a look at Chris Matinho, or is this an absolute lock for Sean O'Malley in the way that Vegas sees it?
0: It's hard to say, man. Uh, looking at the record for Chris Moutinho, all I see is a few decisions, maybe about 30% KOs and the other 30% submissions, but they're all in smaller promotions. So CES MMA, uh, CFFC, uh, Cage Fury, um, a couple of smaller promotions that, honestly, some of these I've never heard of. Um, but, honestly, big shout-out to him for stepping up. I mean, this is time Absolutely. to shine. You know, this is this is the big stage. Sometimes you get that call, and you got to be ready. And it's maybe you are that guy that's you know it's going to be a world beater down the road, mm-hmm. but I, I I can't speak to it. I know that Sean O'Malley he's uh he's he's coming off. I think was it the last fight where he fought uh, Chito Vera and he got that leg kick, and then uh, no,
1: that was Thomas Almeida was his last fight. The fight before was the Chito Vera fight. Ah,
0: you're right, you're right. Yep, but uh, yeah, Almeida he, he he put in some work on. Almeida. He did. I mean, to be fair, that uh, chito Vera. I, honestly, I'm going to call that a fluke, man. Chito Vera is a tough dude, but had those leg kicks not landed the way they did at the time they did, I I, I had O'Malley up the whole time. He was pressing. He was he was being creative with the striking. Um, he, he's he's a top top level guy, and I, I think this guy has big shoes to fill. This Christmas Tino guy. So I mean, it's his time to shine, but I it, I'm not putting my money on anybody else, but uh, Sugar O'Malley
1: right now. Look, I can't disagree with you. If I had to absolutely be forced to put a bet on this, even though we're at minus 900, my money is absolutely going to Sean O'Malley. But I want to offer a little bit of a take on what I think Chris Matinia would do to be able to realistically win this fight. You know, when you look at Sean O'Malley's losses, and, you know, you kind of mentioned them already. We have the Andre Sukumtav. uh, Actually, it was a win for him but he was actually able to put Sean O'Malley disabled on his back by targeting the same leg that Cheeto Vera targeted as well. It makes me wonder, and it begs to question, what is the health of that lead leg? He's always leaving it exposed, and when it does take damage, it compromises on him very quickly. I believe that if Chris Matinho can have an opportunity to target that leg and maybe try to expose that weakness in Sean O'Malley's you know, physicality, that perhaps there might be a chance. But when we're looking at them fighter to fighter, I've had an opportunity to maybe watch some of Chris Mattino's last two fights, I believe is what I took a look at earlier today. And I've seen the entire body of Sean O'Malley's work. I don't think it's even close as far as the skill level that the two of them have in striking. Chris Mattino is a very durable guy. I think he'll eat a lot of Sean O'Malley's shots, but it would behoove him not to take a look at the legs of Sean O'Malley, which have always fallen apart on him in the past. However... I am picking Sean O'Malley for this fight. I think the sugar show is going to reign supreme. It's a wonderful card for him to be on. And I'm hoping that potentially he gets a top 15 opponent or something like that afterwards. You know, I want to see him test his mettle against the top guy. Cheeto might have been the best guy that he's faced yet. I'd like to see him get a ranked opponent.
0: Solid point, yeah. And, and, and going back to the, uh, the leg kick theory that you have there, it would be a damn shame if guy goes in there and doesn't copy the blueprint that Cheeto Vera laid out. Every fighter has a blueprint. Uh, the Nate Diaz had that front leg kick, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, Rafael Dos Anjos exposed, right? And then Conor McGregor came back on the uh, rematch and took out that front leg kick. If you don't you so fighter to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, Conor McGregor took out that same <laughs> leg kick. And if you're not a guy that looks back at history and sees what other fighters have done, every fighter at this level they have their patterns set and it's up to you it's your responsibility as a fighter to see those patterns and build a game plan around it otherwise what are you even doing what's your corner doing? what's your coaches doing you know so it's it, it would be a damn shame if you don't see uh chris Matinia go in there and attack that front leg
1: i certainly hope that he takes advantage of that opportunity lou and and you know You always do a wonderful job of giving us the fighter's perspective because that is essentially what you are. From a fanboy perspective, I had an opportunity to watch the two of these guys face off. And it was very interesting to me to see how much Sean O'Malley was trying to come at Chris Matinho and just see the way that Chris Matinho kind of took in the moment and how he wasn't sure he was not in the slightest. My friend, so Stone Cold. I'm not going to tell any of our listeners that they need to be putting money on somebody who's a plus 600. But if you wanted to put a little sprinkle for the fun of it, I like a guy who's got everything to prove. I also had an opportunity to watch his media interview about a couple days ago. And this is a guy who's very humbled just by the opportunity to be here on this stage fighting Sean O'Malley, has a passion for the sport, wants to make fighting his life. And just seeing him today on that stage when Sean is working in the crowd, Trying to get his face, and he's not even getting a reaction on a Chris Matinho. Again, from a skill perspective, I think Sean O'Malley's the superior fighter. Very interested to see this matchup at the beginning of the main card. Live.
0: Hey, big respect to guys that are up there composed, especially on the big stage. So,
1: yes, sir. Uh, shout yes, out sir. to Chris
0: Matinho, Ty Tuivasa, Greg Hardy, Heavyweight, <sighs> Big Boys, oh.
1: Big Rigs. Ooh wee ha. one's got some heat on it, baby. Lots of shoes. Oh, lots of shoes. Well, you know, we've got a full crowd at um, the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. I would imagine there's going to be plenty of people wearing shoes, probably be even more beers than shoes. I'm not sure how that ratio is going to play out, but should be a really fun fight. I'm very excited to see this. Last time I saw Greg Hardy in action, I believe, was against Alexander Volkov. Um, What a... You know, just a bold move to step up and take on a guy who's, you know, top three, top five uh, heavyweight, always has been a staple in this division since he came here from Bellator, I believe. Um, You know, I think we all kind of knew how that fight would play out just from an experience perspective. Um, But one thing I can certainly tell you that has been an attraction for Greg, about Greg Hardy, Since he came into the contender series and decided to join the sport and take it very seriously, he's training an American top team. From an athletic perspective, I think this is one of the, you know, experiments that we've always wanted to see. All the best athletes in the world are playing basketball or football, especially here in the United States. Here is a guy who was a Pro Bowl defensive end for the Carolina Panthers and for the Dallas Cowboys and always was a producer from a cardio level and a physical strength perspective. We've seen a lot of those similar traits play into how he fights. He's heavy-handed, has amazing cardio. However, against a more seasoned opponent like Ty Tuivasa, who we've seen fight, you know, all of the ranks in the heavyweight division, how does that play out? I could, you know, I'll be honest with you, I could see this going either way. I think Vegas has this as a minus 150 for Tuivasa and a plus 125 for Greg Hardy, which is a little bit outside of a pick 'em, Um, but – the way that I look at this fight is for Greg Hardy to beat Tai Tuivasa. he's going to have to knock him out. I don't know that he has the ability to be able to put a guy like Tai out. He's got set. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. From a skill set perspective, I don't doubt his power. But look at the guys that Tai's been in, in the octagon with. You know, I could pick out, uh, you know, a handful of individuals who I think are more skilled than Greg Hardy and probably hit harder than he does as well. Um, It's an interesting matchup. I do see the possibility for this to go either way. I'm going to ride with Tai Tuyabasa on this point. Um, I I think that that's more of the safe bet. But again, I can see this rolling either way. What do you think, Luke?
0: I'm jumping on the same horse. I'm riding with Tai Tuvasa on that one um ty just has more experience fighting higher level guys i think in uh greg hardy's resume um this is probably gonna be the the uh, highest ranked fighter or probably the most skilled fighter that he's gone up against um and he's a tough dude Uh, ty teobas is one of those guys that either he's going to knock someone out or he's going to get knocked out there's not going to be any in between um he's going to come forward and uh, i think i mean according to some of the press conference and some of the the uh the media the, uh, stuff that I've been seeing on Tai Tiyabasa, that's his client. He's going to come forward. He's going to come at him just like a freight train and hopefully he gets the KO or he's going to get KO'd. But like you said, I don't think the group, Greg Hardy has the skill set to do that to a guy like Tai Tiyabasa. He's just, he's too skilled on the feet. He's very durable and he's got power.
1: You know, from a betting perspective, I'll be totally frank with you. This is one that I would stay away from, but you know, from a perspective of a fight fan, I might be maybe the most excited about this fight from the prelim card. These are two guys with heavy hands, throw big bombs. I think they're going to both come forward at each other. I think the first guy to back up will be the one who gets knocked out. Very excited to see how this plays out. Um, You know, we shall wait and see. I mean, we're only uh, maybe about 12 hours away from finding out how this goes. May the best man win. You brought
0: up a good point about Greg Hardy too. The UFC and just MMA in general, it's still kind of in, a, in its infancy when it comes to bringing in talented or just kind of like physically talented individuals. So when you see a guy like Greg Hardy, who's one of the like the elite athletes, the big, powerful, strong, bigger, faster, stronger kind of guys out there that usually end up in the NFL, this is one of the few guys that's like, hey, I'm going to try my hand at MMA and see what happens. And I think it's still pretty early on where we haven't seen a big influx of just like elite level athletes come to MMA, Um, maybe just because the paychecks aren't there or just the exposure wasn't there. Right. But the argument always goes if LeBron James was a boxer. Right. What would happen? You know, what would happen if some of these elite level athletes came into combat sports? You know, would it be. Would it be completely lopsided would a guy like Habib still be the undefeated guy at hundred and fifty five pounds if someone that was an elite level athlete in another sport came into the same realm so that's that's, that's a cool that's a cool uh, cool concept to think about especially when you see a guy like Greg Hardy like man this is the two worlds combining now we're really seeing MMA as a whole elevated to another level
1: no i, I I'm I'm excited for the future of MMA because, especially now, I would say almost entirely because of a gentleman who we'll probably talk about in two fights. It has come into the mainstream, and especially with the UFC's partnership with the with ESPN. You know, Lou, think about the kids that are growing up right now who are our age and we maybe started watching the K1 Pride, you know, UFC fights when we were younger kids. You know, the individuals who are you know the kids that are signing themselves up for sports. And deciding that they want to dedicate themselves to a athletic pursuit to better their lives might actually start to consider that doing mixed martial arts is going to be something that can be lucrative for them. I think that the sport has a little bit of catching up to do to be able to offer those opportunities up to young pockets of athletic talent that we have here in the United States. But I'm very excited to see how we've uh, not we how the UFC has set up. Uh, performance institutes in Mexico, China, and elsewhere. And I think that, you know, we always talk about how um, when the sport started, you had a lot of specialists. And now the sport is kind of turning into training individuals at at an early stage in what is truly mixed martial arts. And I think that a lot of people don't talk about the fact that we are about to move into maybe 10 to 20 years from now uh, a era of UFC where we see some of the best athletes in the world who have been trained in a universal form of mixed martial arts that has been identified over years of practice and I think now with this platform that the UFC has the exposure is the highest that it's ever been and we're going to see that hopefully before you know uh, you know we're in our 50s Lou that's my goal.
0: Hopefully yeah, we'll, we'll see I'm, what happens. I'm gone and no <laughs> longer
1: competing by that time because,
0: I'll tell you this right now, Cap. I'm experiencing that firsthand right now. Um, where I'm at right now, I'm in a place where I'm coaching a lot of younger kids uh, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And some of these kids are jumping right into boxing right after my uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. Some mm-hmm. of these kids are competing at amateur level boxing events after Brazilian jiu-jitsu class and smashing Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitions. So you're seeing like these kids that are no, they're no longer enrolling in uh, Pop Warner football or T-ball, right? Um, they're jumping into Brazilian <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu, boxing at the ages. I have kids as young as five and six, cap. So, oh, wow, this is a game changer. So it's it, it is bringing the sport to another level where it's you know some parents are seeing the benefits of martial arts. Um, they're seeing uh, that you know the that career path, or as Dana White calls it, an opportunity. That <laughs> an opportunity. <laughs> it's not a career. <laughs> it's opportunity. All right. Um, it can be lucrative, and Conor McGregor is Exhibit A. It's, I mean, it's, it doesn't happen often, but hopefully, the longer the sport goes, and the more people that come through that through that octagon, um, you know, they come out and show their talent. Hopefully, it'll be uh, a little bit, uh, the wealth can be spread a little bit wider by then, and more talent level um, going forward. Um, but yeah, that it's, is, it's still an early stage. I
1: hope that that happens.
0: What do we got next? Burns, All right, we have Stephen Gilbert Thompson. Burns
1: versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Um, this match is set at a minus one hundred and sixty favorite for Wonderboy Thompson, what? a plus one hundred and thirty-five uh, underdog for Gilbert Burns. Oh. So, just like the last matchup that we talked about, Lou, it's a little bit outside of a pickem, but I would still consider it, um, you know, rather even odds in, in one shape or another. We're looking at a guy in Steven Wonderboy Thompson, who I do not know his exact age, but I believe he's either approaching 40 or is 40. Um, He is uh, somebody who, if I had to pick somebody in the UFC who probably would fight like I would, uh, it would probably be Steven Wonderboy Thompson. I'm a big fan of his. You know, he has that, um, you know, point karate, uh, you know, style with the sideways movement that uh, is something that I trained in for 15 years. Um, You know, it is very... uh, I've always been incredibly impressed at how he's been able to take that and apply it into an octagon. At no point in time in my career or any point in my life that I ever think that anything that I trained in would actually you know, truly work in a setting where you have a pure fight like mixed martial arts, but Stephen Wonderboy Thompson has been able to do that and give a lot of people problems for many years in the UFC because of the fact that You know, when you look at his length, I mean, he kind of measures up almost like a middleweight, but he's very thin to the point where he can make the welterweight, um, you know, weight cut. He has an incredible ability to control distance in the sense that he almost moves, uh, you know, laterally like a boxer does. You know, he's he's there and then he's not. He's setting you up to almost get frustrated and charge in while he might set up some shots. Um, Gilbert Burns though Is somebody that I've become very impressed with In recent time You know, I, I almost thought To be totally frank with you That his title shot was a little bit premature Because he had a, uh, a win over Damian Maia Who I have a tremendous amount of respect for In a Brazilian jiu-jitsu fashion But also I think he's actually A pretty even striker um, Gilbert Burns did quick work of him He also fought Tyron Woodley Who I thought, you know just wasn't the Tyron Woodley that we're used to seeing and then he went in there with Kamaru Uzuman and I think a lot of people um you know kind of forget how the earlier stages of that fight was going there was many moments where I saw Kamaru Uzum was rocked and I thought sure. that Gilbert Burns would take advantage of that and the only mistake that I think that he made was he allowed it to go to a second round where Kamaru did what champions do which is adjust very well and win the fight absolutely um, yep I don't think even though it was a shorter fight for Kamaru and I think we've seen overall how great he truly is I certainly personally am at the point where I'm no longer doubting Kamaro Usman for how great he is but those type of you know things that you do in a fight when you're tired and you're getting hurt and you're taking damage and you're able to look at it in a strategic and logistical pattern and listen to a coach like Trevor Whitman that he's been working with out in Denver and make those adjustments. That's the true indication of a champion. And I think Gilbert Burns went into that fight, maybe with even more polished striking, uh, a kind of conversely equal uh, ground game in the sense that he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu champion. And Kamaru is a uh, very well veteran wrestler in his own regard. Um, I just really think that Gilbert might have kind of got a little bit too emotional and maybe aggressive in that fight. And when I look at the Steven Wonderboy Thompson matchup, I'm going to go back to what we're actually talking about. I go back to um, the last loss that he had, which was Anthony Pettis. When you really take a look at that fight and you take Gilbert Burns and put him into the position that Anthony Pettis was, I have a. If he does the correct things, which is coming up with the right game plan, which a guy like Stephen times Thompson and the way that he fights and the way that he moves, you have to have a very specific game plan in order to beat a guy like that. Tyron Woodley, I think, wrote the book on how to fight a guy like that. And I think that Anthony Pettis actually might have done a better job at it because he targeted the front leg of Stephen Thompson, which limited his movement. Now, when you are able to stop a guy who is moving laterally as swiftly as Steven Thompson is, he's not able to create the setups and create the, um, you know, opportunities that he can counter you with shots that you're not expecting. And then you and I both know it's those shots that you're not seeing that hurt the most. And I can go right back to the Robert Whitaker knockout that he has where he hit him with the kick. And I think Whitaker was just not even expecting it. So it just completely took him by surprise and, and, and totally clean cocked him. I think that Gilbert Burns is a very elite talent in this division. And I think that if he executes the following game plan, which is stifling that front leg, limiting his movement, and setting him up into a position where he can target him, I think he's got pistons in both hands. And a lot of people continue to talk about in their analysis of their fight that he's got to be able to take him down and Steven Wonderboy Thompson's takedown game is XYZ. I think if Gilbert Burns' coaches are smart, they're going to tell him to limit his movement, to cut him off a little bit, take advantage of exposing uh, damage on that leg, and then unleash the furious punches that he has in both hands. That's going to be wanna the know, challenge. I want to know yeah. what you think.
0: Yeah, that's going to be the challenge. It's, it's, it's going to be because Thompson, as far as movement inside the cage, he's one of the best. Forward movement. If not yeah, lateral movement. He stays out of range. He doesn't even keep his hands up because he's so confident in his movement that he get out of range really quickly. That's going to be the challenge for Gilbert Burns. Do I think he's going to take him on the down to the ground? Probably not. I think he's no. he's he's gonna try to like come up against the cage and then catch him with something slick. And that's what Anthony Pettis did. You know, he Anthony Pettis had his back to the cage, but ended up catching him something slick off the cage and uh Thompson's movement And Gilbert Burns has some slick striking he's, he's He'll throw you off He's kind of a sleeper when it comes to a strike His ground game is on another level for sure But Stephen Thompson has, I mean he's notorious for avoiding takedowns he's, He doesn't get taken down As much as we'd, we'd expect a karate guy To get taken
1: down mm-hmm.
0: So it's uh, I'm split 50-50 on this one Do I think you gotta Gilbert pick Burns has
1: one. You gotta pick uh,
0: one. I'm going to go with Thompson On decision here Thompson decision is so going
1: we're, we're standing on opposite sides of the fence. All right, uh, let's go. Now I'm excited.
0: Yes. Uh, I'm going to say Thompson decision. I think he's going to do enough uh, to stay out of the range, uh, stifle Gilbert Burns, takedown attempts or stifle Gilbert Burns attempt to uh, remove his movement. And um, I don't know. I honestly that after Gilbert Burns last loss against Kamara Usman, he seemed broken, man. He, he was, he was shook. He was sad after that loss. So it's going to be interesting to see how he comes back after that. He took that loss very rough. He started crying in the middle of the octagon, Cap.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. You bring up a great point, and I'll be totally frank with you. If you want to look at personas as we're going through fight week and in interviews, which I've been paying a lot of attention to, Stephen Thompson is a guy who's set up to have everything to win. I mean, Kamar Usman has even come out and said that You know, not only has Stephen Thompson pointed out himself that he's the only welterweight that Camaro hasn't beaten, Camaro has also said that, hey, you know, if this opportunity does come up and he wins in exciting fashion, which is, I believe, the words that he used, that, yeah, we'll go fight Stephen Thompson. Um, You know, Gilbert Burns, uh, when I watched his interviews, I mean, he almost looked like a uh, guy who was ashamed of his last loss. And, you know, uh, certainly the media was like, Kind of poking and oh, you know, yeah, the media the worst, they're the, yeah, yeah, they're, they're the most horrible people in the world. But, um, you know, it, it certainly didn't help that they were asking those questions. But just looking at his body language, head is kind of pointed down almost towards the ground, looking away. Um, you know, I, I really can't blame you for taking Steven Thompson, he's got everything to win, he's got all the motivation behind him. When you look at Gilbert Burns's two wins that ultimately got him the title shot. They're not against opponents that I necessarily consider to be very impressive. Look at Steven Thompson. I think he beat Nico Price in his last fight, and Ooh, um, fight. I can't I can't remember who his uh, fight was with was before that. Um, but he uh, 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 it's uh, Vicente Luque, if I'm not mistaken. That was, that was a good. And fight. and both both Nico Price and Vicente Luque are absolute dogs. Very talented guys. Younger guys than both the guys that Gilbert. You know, shit, man. I, I'm, I'm taking Thompson. I don't, I don't even. I'm like, yes. <laughs> like walking myself in there. Yes. I'm sorry, we are on the same side of the fence. I'm Come, to the light, I'm like, Come to the I'm light, cap. Come to the light. I'm like, I'm like, okay. Burns, we just convinced you Tyron right now. <laughs> and Damian Maya, and then you've got Nico Price and Vicente Luque. Actually, I'm with Thompson, dude. We're riding together on this one. I I, I don't even know how I put that thought in my head. So it's Stephen Thompson <laughs> on this. <laughs> we're riding one. for
0: Stephen Thompson. Let's go. Yeah, we're.
1: We're riding right for the South Carolina boy. You know, uh, Mr. Uh, Was it uh, the NFL, NMF belt is. Yes. Uh, yes. The yes, nicest, the, the mofo in the world. The nicest, the sweetest, the gentle, the kind, the teacher, the student, the martial artist, the Stephen male Thompson. karate hottie. Pretty the, fly okay, not, for a karate uh, guy. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it.
0: All right, for Christ's right, sake, right. man. Moving on. Hang on. Uh, oh, into oh, this oh, one. oh, God. Main event, I'm going to crack open this little uh, Stella Artois, forgive the sound effects, but uh,
1: yes. All right. Stella, hey.
0: shout out. If you want to sponsor us, let us know. Ooh, who know was that, I, I, that sounded that sounded pretty crispy as well.
1: Well, you know why it sounded so crispy, Lou, is because it is the original seltzer. It is the top of the pyramid. It's the, the brand that everybody else is trying to chase. It's White Claw. Okay. You know, uh, it it might be like a, look, it might be a white girl thing, but I'm a beautiful Brown man. I have absolutely no shame. I'm going to be probably, you know, sponsored and hired by them after we have this conversation. So this is for you, White Claw. uh, And this is for all of our listeners. So Lou, may I preface this? Please do. So when um, Conor McGregor came into the sport, people like Lewis and myself were already paying attention to it, but these are people who are fight fans, people who are maybe practicing the discipline in one art or the other. And Conor McGregor came into the sport and, you know, reinvented the idea of what a UFC fighter could be, taking it a lot from the boxing mold of from a promotional aspect. Um, I think that a lot of the attention and the way that the UFC has grown, especially in recent years, getting its partnership from Fox over to ESPN, having the attention that it does, Dana White being in the position where he can have fights every Saturday and essentially run a fight league. I think that's one thing that doesn't get talked about is when you look at the evolution of the UFC and the reason why people pay attention to these fights is because – Dana White has been able to do something that boxing has probably always dreamed of. One promoter, one league, all of the top talent in the world competing against each other under contract with the same organization. And I think when you look at where they are now, which is an amazing thing to recognize and respect in the way that I just said, you have to always look at who gave you know the major media outlets a reason to pay attention to our sport who took it from the kind of obscure back alley underground sort of way where you would talk to a guy at a bar if you thought he might like fighting about the ufc to the point where it is now where you have a platform that is mainstream media where we are supporting fighters of all backgrounds whether they are the notorious one or not and it all starts with con mcgregor and his meteoric rise into this fight league. I want to start off my analysis of this fight by saying that—not saying, but just admitting—I am probably the biggest Conor McGregor fan girl you were ever meet in your life. If you have an opportunity to follow me on Instagram, which is at infamous cab k a b. You will probably see my story, which may make you love me or hate me. It's going to be one or the other. And it's because of the fact that I'm very pro-Conor McGregor. Unapologetic. I've always been a massive fan of his. And yes. Yeah, you're right, Lou. I have no apologies to fucking anyone. But <laughs> yes. I wanna, perfect. I want to – you know, the reason Lou, I bring up like the the start of his career and the effect on the UFC is to ultimately talk about the evolution of Conor McGregor as a fighter and what and I'm going to build that into what I see for this fight. Conor McGregor, when he came into the UFC, attracted a lot of different eyes because of his ability to publicly speak, how captivating he is, and his creativity with the microphone. But Lou, I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. My attraction to Conor McGregor was his style of fighting. He reminded me, not reminded me of anybody I've ever seen, but ultimately when I used to train in Taekwondo and I used to compete at the junior Olympic level, I would think that ultimately his fighting style in his earlier part of his career was what I was trying to accomplish. I will never forget the first time that I watched him fight and it was the Max Holloway fight. And it wasn't the way he struck. It wasn't his left hand. It wasn't the words that came out of his mouth before or after the fight was over, but it was his movement. Yes. And when I, when you look at Conor McGregor up until the Nate Diaz fight from me personally, I have always been one of those guys that would have those back alley conversations, those underground, you know, heart to hearts with somebody who I thought might like fighting and share with them how I, you know, thought about the sport and how I wanted it to grow. And Connor brought all of those eyes to the sport. But my love for him has never been about anything that he said in front of a microphone. As much as I love and enjoy the kind of persona that he is, what he puts off and how he carries himself, how he looks. I mean, everything about him. I, I love all about it. But when I watched Conor McGregor live, I was obsessed with his movement. I, to the point where I followed him on Instagram and followed his YouTube videos to understand where he learned this movement from. Initially, it was something that was brought on by a gentleman named Ido Portal. He is a movement specialist based out of Israel. I believe he's Israeli. Um, he studies the movement of animals and mimics that into almost like a yoga pattern that they use to create balance and movement. And Connor would work with this guy. And when you watch Connor in the ring, he was so loose. He would lay back almost in a karate taekwondo stance. And he would use his kicks in the way that I felt that I would use it when I was fighting in my own circuit which is to set up an opportunity to lay a hand on you. And it was the not just in the way that he would set up his shots, but it was the creativity in which you could, if you study his fights, you will see how he is leading his opponent into one, one space, one, one area of the octagon so that he can land a shot that he has already predetermined probably three different motions prior to that. Exactly, and And when I look at Connor's career as an entire whole, that all changed after the Nate Diaz fight. He went into the rematch with his back against the wall and told himself, "Okay, I'm fighting a bigger guy who's not going to get tired, and he's not going to take any sort of mind any damage that I'm going to cause to him. So I'm going to have to outpoint him, and I'm going to have to win on a card to move on past him." But when you look even past the fights that he had with Nate you look at the Al or sorry this would be prior to Nate was the Aldo fight you look at the Aldo fight Aldo was an absolute monster at 145 from a that technical was pe- pers-
0: that was peak Edo Portal time that's when exactly. he was working with his exactly I remember after that Aldo fight I forget which UFC fighter it was but it was a very famous tweet and it, it turned into a meme everyone's going to go out and get a movement coach. Now everyone's going to be doing, you know, the touch button, the park at this point, ever since that knockout, because you, it was look, so innovative. And I think what it is really is that Connors, I guess his aura is his confidence, right? It just shakes. His, he was so confident. And I think it's that confidence to try something different in the middle of the octagon that really propelled them above all the others.
1: You know, Luke, I, I don't know if you remember this, but if you remember prior to the Aldo fight, like, and I believe it was during fight week, maybe a few days, if not a day prior to the actual bout itself, he he had done an interview where he talked about setting traps in space for Aldo. And I know you've seen this because I'll probably send it to you 20 times. Uh, the video of him working out in the Back, room prior to him walking. Backstage, yeah. Yeah. He already had an idea for what trap he was going to set and what shot he would throw when Aldo came charging at him.
0: Cab, the and... exact knockout was the drill before he went out into the cage. The exact yes. knockout was the drill before he went out into the cage.
1: Yes, exactly, sir. like I...
0: Copy, paste, just paste it into the octagon. That's all he did. And it's exactly how it went down. It's so crazy. He had this guy so figured out. That his warm up consisted of the drill
1: that knocked him out. And, w- and, you know, Luke, when you look at any fight prior to the DS fight, that was exactly how he approached his fights. You know, he had a, um, you know, he was like a man possessed, not just in the way that he would act emotionally, but in the way that he would envision his fights, I feel. You know, he would know the strike. You know, they, we, we started calling him Mystic Mac for a reason. He would predict the round, he'd predict the shot because you could tell when he would talk about it, he was visualizing it as well. And when you look at the Diaz fight and what took place afterwards, I think you saw a shift at that point. People talk about the money and the Floyd Mayweather fight and whatever, and everybody points to the Eddie Alvarez fight and MSG, or MSG and how well he did in that fight. Eddie Alvarez is a wrestler. Conor McGregor has got better hands with him any time of the day. He can, all day, which is what he, when, when you look at that fight, he stood right in front of him and just teed off on him. I don't know if the moment was too big for Eddie or – No respect. Was just the no big, respect for bosses. Eddie's game. Why he was just you? there. Yeah. But my point is, when you look at the – what I consider the prime of his career, which is right up until the DS fight, he is so creative in the fact that he is setting up a game plan that he's going to execute so specifically to the point where he knows where he's going to drop the shot and he knows when he's going to do it as well. The Diaz fight, I felt, almost rattled him a little bit to the point where he was, and, and that was actually also coincidentally the time where he stopped working with Ido Patel, stopped working with a movement coach, and started just becoming a straight boxer striker. As we all know, after the Alvarez fight, he went into the Floyd Mayweather fight. There was a long layoff. There was a lot of money that was made. And when you look at Conor, um, you know, the, the cowboy fight was such a short outing. It's really hard to really pick that apart and see what it was for what it is. And Cowboys
0: and, hit or miss these days. You don't know which version of Cowboy you're going to get. So that was a very difficult fight to gauge which Conor we're actually at right now, what level of Conor we're at. So it's very difficult to gauge.
1: You're absolutely right. And then, you know, when the Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier fight was announced, there was also quite a little bit of layoff in there as well. So as somebody who's as big of a McGregor fan as I am, I still had my reservations because – I had just seen Dustin Poirier in the octagon with Dan Hooker, which might be one of the greatest fights (sighs) I've ever seen in my life. I want to make one thing very clear to our listeners. If Dustin was fighting anybody other than Conor McGregor, which he has many times, I've always been a fan of his. I've always been a supporter of his. I have watched him stay active, go through fights, rematches that have been wars, He is not. He wasn't. I already knew in the second before the second bout that he wasn't the same guy that Connor faced in the first fight. He's a man now.
0: He was a kid back then.
1: And you're absolutely right. And he was a kid, which is why Connor was able to get into his head and get him as frustrated as he was, and you know, turn him into the person that Dustin has said many times that he did. And my 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 overall opinion that I'm going to leave it at for this fight is that I don't think, and this pains me to say this, that Conor McGregor has a chance against Dustin Poirier, who has had more ring time, has stayed more active, has evolved as a fighter because he's been working in the sport against live action in the ring and has everything to gain and everything to motivate him. I do not think he has a chance. People keep talking about, oh, he needs to be the old Connor. He needs to be the mean Connor. He has to talk track. You're missing the boat. You're missing the boat. He has to go back to being the strategic mastermind who sets people up to be standing in a position where he knows he can knock you out. And if that happens, he will be Dustin Poirier. If not, Dustin Poirier will be the winner.
0: Luke? Solid point you bring up. Solid point you bring up. Well, the mic is my friend. How you said that, um, Dustin Poirier has just had more time in the octagon. He's had more matches. He's just had more experience with more people at 155. And the ones that pop out specifically for me are the Justin Gaethje fight, which I was there Oof. live. It was a smoker. It was amazing, Glendale. Ah, that was such a good fight. And then the Eddie Alvarez fight, which is also a banger barn burner. Those are two wars. And this guy pulled through with like some really tough dudes. But like you said, he's been in there getting more matches in, getting more time in the octagon. He's more active. And Conor McGregor once said, and I'm quoting my guy, which I'm a fan of. He said this once, they're not on my level. You got to have some attributes. If you're not an equal to me, I'm going to rip your head off. Eddie's a warrior but he shouldn't have been in there with me. I'm hoping, my heart wants McGregor to pull off a win. My birthday is on Tuesday, July 13th, and all I want for my birthday is a McGregor win. But if I, I, I don't bet with my heart. I bet with my head. <sighs> he, Dustin Poirier has got attributes on him right now, and the attribute is more time. He's more mentally composed than he was the first fight. And he's just been more active and it's that's a very big hurdle to overcome. So,
1: you know, you and I are both fanboys,
0: but it's a, Dustin just has all the chips on his side of the table right now. It's, it's a hard bet against Dustin right now.
1: You know, Lou, I want to bring up one thing to you, which is something that has been kind of dwelling on me since I watched the press conference yesterday. Um, did you, by the way, did you have an opportunity to watch it yourself?
0: Yeah, yeah. Ca- caught a little bit of it. Got some highlights on it. I didn't watch now- it live. I think I was right in the middle of training, but I, I caught the highlights afterwards
1: god bless you you're doing uh you know things that are actually relevant to the sport and probably better right. in your life as well <laughs> the rest of us degenerates were sitting there you know chips in hand guts out like watching the <laughs> press conference so yeah thank you for rubbing your uh you know big nose in our faces yeah. i mean uh
0: but anyways just get back I'm, on my high horse real quick yeah, yeah, yeah. Riding right, <laughs> real high
1: brother yeah doing real well um but look dude when I watched that press conference and now I also want to preface this with something, you know, there were interviews that were done with BT sports, Stephen, a Smith from ESPN. Um, I could name a couple other outlets that were interviews that were done with Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor, the same day prior to this cre- pe- press conference, which is the reason why it was held at 8.00 PM Eastern time and five on the West. Typically it is five on the East and probably like two o'clock on the West and um, It was because they jammed all their media into one day. And keep in mind, the weigh-ins were this morning. So these guys are cutting the majority of their weight right before they're doing it. Um, Connor looked rather, I don't know, I mean, he looked kind of like, you know, aggressive, like, you know, a little bit animalistic in his interview with Stephen A. Smith. He looked like he was in the middle
0: of a weight cut. That's what he looked like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I'm I'm carrying that into the press conference, Mm -hmm. Lucy. Thank you for emphasizing that. Yeah. When you watched that press conference, did you not think he was just a tad bit off? Everything was a little bit forced. It almost seemed like he was trying to be that guy, but almost didn't even have the energy to do it. There were moments, you know, you have watched as many press conferences with this guy as I have. And you, as I was, there were moments where Dustin would be talking and I'm like, Connor, why are you not interrupting him? Why are you not screaming over him? I'm like, I'm sitting there in the couch watching it and I'm coming up with lines for Connor. Like, you know, they asked, they asked Dustin, who do you see in the ring across from you? And Connor's just sitting there looking up at the fucking sky. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, uh, you see the grim see Like, you know, like, like, let's go. And then, Oh my God, let, let me be honest. Let me be honest. And I'm sure you'll agree with me. The best line of the, of the entire press yep. conference came from when Dustin Poirier interrupted Conor before he had to answer a question. It's now McGregor uh, fast. It's McGregor sleep. I didn't say repeat it, you know, because this is a <laughs> Conor McGregor podcast. But, yes, uh, that was what was said. And I couldn't help but chuckle. And, yeah, I I definitely, uh, you, know, uh, you know, repented, you know, immediately after doing that. But I couldn't help myself. I mean, it was just – it was, it was, you Three know, Hill it's it's hard because <laughs> I'm a fan of Dustin when he's not fighting Connor, and I couldn't help but root for the guy. I'm like, wow, you know, look at him f- speaking up for himself and look at how hard Connor is trying. But I do think that's a weight cut thing. And Connor was bringing up Dustin's weight cut. I thought at the weigh ins earlier this morning that Connor actually looked kind of rough and Dustin looked totally fine. Um, I, I'm I, gonna,
0: I caught that too. I caught that too, Ken. Um, yeah,
1: I, I'm. I, I'm glad somebody else felt the same way. I thought it was just me, maybe looking into it too much. Dustin looked totally normal, very balanced. Connor looked kind of rough, and 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 when I when I saw that, I actually went up and pulled up the last weight cut uh, that they did from their uh, their sequel fight, and Connor actually looks a lot more sucked up in this fight than he did the last fight.
0: He's looking and, mean. Yep.
1: Yeah, you know it's. It, there's there's some serious question marks from doing an analysis of the persona, the physicality, and all the other kind of stuff. But you and I both know, Lou. It doesn't matter. It's all about who goes in on the night, who's the better man, who lands the shot. There's a little bit of magic. there's a little bit of luck, and there's a whole lot of want and who wants it more and who gets it. I want your pick, Lou. who you I'm gonna,
0: that last line he just dropped. I'm going to copy-paste it, frame it on my wall because that's exactly what it comes down to. Who (laughs) wants it more? Seriously, gold frame and everything. Um, That's a good one. Here's my my analysis. There's a couple intangibles. One, I mean, from a physical standpoint, I saw Conor McGregor at that press conference. He did look a little dry. His lips look a little bit sucked in, which is very typical for a weight cut. Um, Composure was... You know, it was a little bit, you know, it was forced. He was forcing himself to be that brash Irish man that we're used to seeing. Um, But it came and went kind of like, you know, on and off. He had to turn it on. He had to turn it off. It wasn't natural like we normally see. Here's another intangible that a lot that a few people brought up, but and and, and this hit home for me because this is a big thing for me, especially when it comes to competition for Mm -hmm. this camp. um, Connor came out. I think it was in California. Doing the last couple of weeks, kind of get used to the you know the time zones and the uh, the temperature out here. He left his family back home in Ireland, yeah. Um, and that for, for him, he he for the last couple of fights that he's uh, he's been at, he's brought his family with him along on the road for the competitions. Um, and that's tough. It really doesn't it doesn't give it the opportunity to get into that fight mindset that a fighter truly needs to be super focused on a fight. Um, so when I heard that, that he actually left his family back home for this competition, and I know how that feels firsthand. Whenever I compete, um, everyone always asks me, do your kids go out there and watch you blah, blah, blah? It's, I can't. I cannot compete in front of my kid. It's just uh, really? there's, there's, there's too many things that are going on. One, it gets me out of dad mode. Dad mode, for some reason, takes away some testosterone levels that I need to compete. They kind uh, of I'll put take your in- word for it. I wouldn't
1: know what that's like,
0: so I'll take <laughs> your word for it. <laughs> Dude, dad mode is a real thing. You, you stop thinking about, okay, I got to fucking beat the most alpha guy on this map, um, And it, it puts you in a different mindset. So the fact that his family's back home in Ireland, somebody at the press conference asked him, are your kids going to be watching this show back home? He says, well, the show's going to be at 5 a.m. in Ireland, so most likely my kids are going to be asleep, so it's just going to be me in there. So I think that's going to be a big difference. I think the Connor that we're going to see is going to be that early Connor that we saw before he was bringing around his rock, his, uh, his, his anchor, which is D Devlin. Still, still looking to get my D Devlin in my life. Bless um, heart. I'm
1: waiting. I'm waiting. Like everyone just needs just a Dee Devlin in
0: their life. Right.
1: God. But yeah. <laughs> Somebody just to hold you down. Like when you're oh, a plumber or a, the biggest thing in the UFC, and yeah, she's the best. But anyways, yeah,
0: this, sorry. This is my open application. If there's any D Devlins out there, get me like up. Like I said, at KAB, um, this, yes. if you want
1: to support a guy who's a fan of fighting and not necessarily a fighter, I'm here. Um, there he so, is. Yeah. Anyways, sorry.
0: Uh, <laughs> his rock, his anchor is back home, which leaves the old, hungry Connor out here in the States by himself with one mission and one game plan which is decapitate Dustin Poirier and get back in the win column. That's all I got.
1: All right, so you're picking Connor officially, correct?
0: My official pick, with my heart, it's going to be Connor. I think that last intangible is going to be, like you said, who wants it more? And I think we're going to get that hungry Connor out here. That's what I'm going to expect. That's what I'm expecting to see tomorrow night. And I think that's going to be, that's going to make the difference on how this fight ends out.
1: Okay. So I will give my official prediction. Um, I think that, um, although I certainly, um, think that a lot of the elements of the family and everything that you pointed out are real, um, I almost wish D Devlin was there. I mean she was there when he uh you know cleaned out Chad Mendez and but that was beat a Jose close Aldo.
0: That, no. the, uh,
1: uh the Chad was she was she there for
0: uh, Jose Aldo? I don't think she was. I, I believe so. Was she? The whole I know she was with the there. Chad Mendez. The
1: whole family was there. I remember his mom, his dad, like you, you know, right. everybody was there. So, anyways, without going too far into that, you know, whether the family one thing that he didn't have at that point in time was children. And uh, yes. Buku-ass money, which, you know, I don't even know how much he might be worth at this point. He is the number one highest paid athlete on the Forbes list. I'll let you interpret that how you will. What I will say about this fight in order to give my prediction is when you look at this fight, a lot of things are made about Conor McGregor and what he has to fight for. You got so much money, you're doing all these different, you know, business ventures, whether it be the whiskey or um, the betting promotions or anything that swirls into Conor McGregor's world. I think the thing that gets ignored is what he has to lose. I don't know if there's any way to come back from this other than a Nate Diaz trilogy, which I have a strange feeling if Nate was presented with that fight, knowing Nate in the way that you probably know him as well, he'd probably say, screw it, I'm going to go fight at 170 and work my way up to the title. And that kind of stifles Connor's growth as being a fighter. I think he's probably aware of those things. I think he knows what he has to prove in this fight. I think that when you look at the rematch that he had with Nate Diaz, he didn't go in there and try to beat Nate Diaz at his own game. He knew that he had to be able to keep the distance, control it, set up shots to the head with kicks to the leg, and be able to take him into... Five rounds by winning on the cards. I ultimately think, Lou, that that's gonna be his same approach here. I think he's gonna know that he has to start to move a little bit more, that he's gonna have to touch Dustin more than he touches him. Um, he's gonna have to avoid shots that are gonna stifle his movement because obviously that could lead into a similar knockout that happened the second time. I think that Connor, actually has a lot more to lose and a lot more on the line than Dustin Poirier has because, you know, he wins this fight. We're talking about a Legion Stadium Death Star fight with Charles Oliveira. I think Conor McGregor wins this fight, but he doesn't win it by knockout. And I think it goes to a decision for Conor. I would actually not take the money line on Connor. I would take the over on the rounds and hammer that. That is my official prediction. Do you think that this, the build up to this fight, the aggressive
0: Connor, the I'm gonna take his head off, I'm gonna, he's a corpse. This hyper aggressive Connor version of Connor that we're seeing, is a ploy to his game plan, which is I'm gonna point fight Dustin Poirier and get the decision. You think it's a distraction?
1: I'm going to take you back to, again, I've been alluding to it, but I'll take you back to the Nate Diaz uh, sequel or whatever you want to call it, the two fights that they had. When you watch that first fight, Lou, the reason why I keep saying that was the last time that we saw the old Conor McGregor, watch the – and I know you have. Watch that first round and tell me that's not some of the most exciting fighting tactics, strikes, spinning kicks, all that other kind of stuff that Conor used to do. That was who Connor was, and eventually he got exposed in that second round, choked out. He moves into the second fight and realizes that all of his star power, everything that he's built up to, even though he's the featherweight champion at that point in time, he has a tremendous amount to lose. And when you watch that fight, Lou, as that is an all time great fight, it is an amazing bout for the history books, for the UFC, for mixed martial Beautiful arts. Fight. When you watch those rounds, which I know that you have, you watch Connor looking up at the clock, running away from Nate, buying his time, knowing that he's winning that round, avoiding getting into exchanges with him where he, know he, where he knows he might be compromised, I think Connor goes into this trilogy with the same realistic mindset of, okay, this guy has grown a lot more than I've ever had an opportunity to grow because I haven't been as active. So I'm going to do what I'm very good at. I'm going to bring back some of my movement skills just to create that distance and set up an opportunity for myself to create strikes. But I'm not going to step forward and stand forward into a boxing stance, which if I get compromised in any way, shape, or form, I'm hanging my chin out there to get hit. I think that it's going to be a logical approach. I actually, despite everything that we've seen him try to do this week, I actually think you're going to see the logical, rational Connor that knows that he has to just win this fight. He's just got to win, and I everything think it's going rides to on a this decision for that read for that reason. Yep.
0: Solid, solid point. Um, and I'll leave you with this because we're right at that hour mark. Connor has never lost a trilogy. It's a joke. how many trilogies? <laughs> <are you listening? laughs> it's a joke. It's the first trilogy. <laughs>
1: Well the first trilogy
0: but it's a fact undefeated, undisputed like Uncle Shale
1: you know what, his record changed the other day, Lou I don't know if you saw Uh, it it was in that interview with Steve Nay. he's now uh, uh, he's only got one loss now and that was through his last fight because he only counts knockouts I see no lies, I see no lies, Cap I I don't disagree with him at all absolute fact Yeah, look, look. Khabib ran away from the sport and his father set up all the fights and, you know, we can go on for hours about how we sprayed away from the sports and dangerous fighters like Conor McGregor. But I won't and I'll digress and I'll tell you that Conor McGregor is going to win this fight by decision. I take the over on the rounds. I might even parlay it with the money line. And I know that there is a smart camp that's been involved. I almost think they might have even tried to uh, maybe John Cavanaugh considered a decoy in putting off this version of Conor McGregor to make Dustin think that he's going to be more aggressive. Conor McGregor, by decision, is my official pick. I think that everybody should tune into this card. I think it's going to be an absolute barn burner from top to bottom. We didn't even talk about the preliminary fights, but there are absolutely wonderful matchups. I think Dana White in the UFC. The world has opened up again. We're going to have a sold-out crowd in T-Mobile. I can't wait.
0: There you have it, guys. Mr. Cab has spoken, and he's only not not been wrong once. I'm so. pretty
1: sure I'm right a hundred percent of ninety percent of the time. It's the same thing as like the Jaguar Panther cologne that they have in Met the uh... 90% of the time, he's right every time. There Which we can... go. Thank you, you so can't much, you can't
0: lose. You can't lose.
1: I'm always right. I, I predict the matchups, I predict the fights, I predict the finishes. I'm just here to tell you what I already know, and I'm joined by a, a wonderful cast and a person who actually goes out there and fights and doesn't just sit on his butt and think that he knows everything in the world. So, Luke. Cab,
0: I appreciate you. You, you, I appreciate you more. You make even better predictions, and uh, that's all we got today, guys. Um, we're gonna throw it up on the podcast. Feel free to tune in again. Instagram page is MMA underscore words dot or not dot com but yeah go to mma com it'll take you right to our podcast on spotify uh mma underscore words is our instagram handle cab what was your instagram handle one more time
1: infamous cab that's k a b um lujitsu was it two, zero, one, zero? Two, zero, one, zero. oh wow i can't believe i remember that so it is l o u j i t s u two zero one zero If you want to know about somebody who I think is an up-and-coming guy in the Arizona area who is what I would imagine is an incredible trainer and teacher, I see that he's also a wonderful father as well. He's a man of all trades and knows everything about the sport and probably a little bit more about life than I do. I hope one day I'll show up at your gym and surprise you, and you could just beat the daylights out of me. You can follow me at i n f a m. O U S K A B. I'm always talking shit. I'm always being myself, and you can catch us both on the MMA Words podcast.
0: Done. Appreciate you, Cap. Appreciate you too, dog.